Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Okay. Hey, everybody. I'm Jody Katz. I am the host of Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. The podcast is, in fact, my side hustle. I have a day job. I am the creative director and founder. It's true. I have to have a job. Um, I'm the creative director and founder of Base Beauty Creative Agency. We're an omni-channel branding agency hyper-focused on beauty and wellness. And out of that agency and my own challenges with self-doubt and growing the agency and growing myself personally, I landed into the podcasting business. And it's, I haven't looked back. It's super fun. So um, we just have a little bit of um, housekeeping to go through before we start the show. I encourage you all to do some social media blitzing when you're here tonight. All the handles and hashtags are on the seat cards. So you can find those on the yellow side. But we are in a building where the Wi-Fi is not really strong. So what I suggest is you actually shut your Wi-Fi off and just use your LTE service for the minute or two that you'll be doing that. And then you'll get really good um, access to data. Um, and there's something really special and exciting about what we're going to ask you to do on social tonight, which is if you can go to your Instagram. Everyone has it open anyway, right? Um, go to Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. I'll give you a second. And today's post, you'll see myself with Laura, our guest for the evening. This is where we're taking questions for our Q&A segment of the show. So if you have a question, please post it as a comment in this feed. And um, don't be shy. Be curious. Please share your thoughts with us. The three questions that we select for Laura to respond to, those, the authors of those questions will get really great Nest goodie bags. Okay? So yeah, really good stuff. So you'll want to participate in that. Okay, but get off of Wi-Fi because you'll have a hard time accessing. Sorry, it's true. <laughs> I speak the truth. Okay, so um, just a little bit I want to know about you. How many people in the room are part of the beauty industry? Oh, that's a lot. And how many people are very familiar and deeply rooted with Nest Fragrances? Oh, this, it's like this whole side of the room. That's so cool. And is there anybody who is just shopping tonight, walking through, curious to see? Oh, awesome. Well, can we have a seat for you? I think there's a seat available right there. Is that seat available? Oh, she's sitting there. Okay. Okay. Thank, thank you for joining us. Is he our only shopper? Any other shoppers? Okay. That's cool. Welcome. <laughs> you don't get a prize for that, but you get to spend money. Okay. So um, also on this seat card is the schedule for our next event. The next scheduled event is with Trish McAvoy, founder of Her Namesake Brand, and that will be on Tuesday, March 12th. Um, so please join us same time, same place on March 12th for that exciting guest. Okay. So this podcast event is a live recording. So if you sneeze or laugh, you'll hear it when you download the episode, which is pretty cool. Um, the episode will go live to the world beyond this room next Wednesday. All of our episodes launch on Wednesdays, so you'll get to download this episode next week. And if you RSVP'd, we have your emails, so we'll send you a notification that that episode is available for download. But you're hearing it first, right? And this is a really um, rare and unusual opportunity to see a podcast recorded live. And it's also a networking event. So I just ask that you turn to someone who's sitting near you who you've never seen before. And please, for a moment, introduce yourself. Nice to meet you. I'm in the podcast and radio oh, business. Cool. I can link them with you. Oh, cool. That's great. Thank you. I've done, I've done 10,000 interviews. Oh, cool. Why don't you go find your seat, a seat over there? There might be a seat open. 
maybe back there. Can you find this man a seat so he can have a comfortable place to stand over than what? Can you find him a seat somewhere? Okay, 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 that's enough. That's enough for tonight. Can you exchange those business cards? We can pick this up after the recording. Thank you so much for participating. Um, networking and connecting is so important to me. I wouldn't be here at SACS doing this event um, without the, the networking and connections that people have been generous with me. Brandon, are we okay on sound? Okay. So um, before I introduce our guests, let me tell you about what Where Brains Meet Beauty is all about. We are a podcast rooted in the beauty industry, but we're actually all about life journey. So career journey, life work mindset, how we balance our lives. So um, the LinkedIn crowd really loves this podcast as much as the beauty industry does um, because people are able to get free wisdom. I mean, the people I interview are not just the names that you've seen on TV like Laura, but they're also entrepreneurs who have yet to reach their goals. And they're also behind the scenes people. Are there any behind the scenes people here tonight? Oh, just one? <laughs> so, um, you know, I started the pod because I really wanted to humanize the industry for myself. And um, that's what we get to do. And Laura is such a great example of what she's going to bring to the conversation this evening. Um, people are really honest and open on the show. We talk about divorce. We talk about infertility. We talk about addiction because this is real life, right? So this is the way to humanize the business. Um, there's other places we can go for news about new product launches and marketing campaigns and revenue. But on our show, we just talk about life. So thank you for joining us. And now on to the reason why we're all here. Tonight, we are joined by Laura Slatkin. Laura is the founder of Nest Fragrances, a lifestyle fragrance brand built on her decades of expertise in the industry. She is a pioneer in home fragrance and the innovative founder of Next for Autism, a nonprofit creating programs that improve the lives of individuals and families living with autism. Please welcome Laura. Thank you, Jody. This is for you. Let's okay. See if that works. Hello, everyone. Yes, it Thank works. Thank you so much for coming. Oh my goodness, it works. Thank you, Brandon. So originally, when I got here tonight, they had these teeny tiny acrylic stools, and I'm like, I'm going to slide right off that thing. <laughs> like, there's no way. So I'm glad that we have a better and a better there back. Go. There you go. The first Thank question I that. always ask before events is, is there a stool with a back? And not just, you know. Oh, it could be scary sitting on a stool. <laughs> for 40 great. minutes. So yeah. thank you so much for joining us here. This is so exciting. There's so many people in the audience here who really want to get to know you. And we're going to have Terrific. that opportunity tonight. Wonderful. So um, let's start with an easy question, one I love to ask our guests. How did you spend your day today? Oh, well, today was a, a very special day because we're launching a new fine fragrance collection next year. And I spent the day with the perfumers going through the many, many different fragrances tweaking them, perfecting them, getting excited about them. So it was a really creative day. So one of my favorites. One of my favorite ways to spend the day. And you had an eventful weekend. Yes. About it. Oh my gosh. I went to go visit my daughter uh, in New Orleans because she's going to Tulane. She's there for her first year. Um, she's a freshman. And um, so we spent the whole weekend eating and drinking. <laughs> So Friday night, I went out with her and her boyfriend, Ryan, her new boyfriend, and little did I know, they had a little plan for me. They wanted to get me drunk. 
And they did. They did. Where did they get you drunk? Well, all over. All over New Orleans. <laughs> we went bar hopping. Haven't done that in a while, so that was a that was a cool way to spend the weekend. And what was it like being a mom meeting the boyfriend of your daughter? Well, you know, that's why I think we got drunk because we were so nervous. <laughs> Seriously, I didn't know what to say to him, and I really probably didn't know what to say to me. And the liquor just paved the way. <laughs> it was a fun weekend. That's so awesome. So, what fragrance are you wearing today? Uh, tonight I'm wearing Wild Poppy. It's a Me new too. fragrance. Are you yeah. really? It's a beautiful new fragrance we just launched. And the wonderful thing about it is that it's Rose de Grasse and Himalayan Jasmine, two beautiful florals. And then we added pear, apricot, and raspberry, um, which just makes it very spirited. So it's a beautiful fragrance. I think of it as really juicy. Yeah, it's a fruity floral. Hello? Okay. Yeah, it's a fruity floral. So let's get into um, why we're here. Sax okay. has a special place in your heart. Yes. Take us back in time to your first relationship with Sax. So that's really going very far back to 1992. Um, I had just left Wall Street. My husband and I both worked on Wall Street. My brother-in-law was an interior designer, a world-renowned interior designer. And whenever he completed a, a very important home for a client, he would develop a home fragrance for them because he felt that that was the final touch on a beautifully decorated home. So we had this exquisite shop on 70th Street. Um, Harry and I left Wall Street to join Howard. We were running the shop and we had this idea that we would create a home fragrance company based on his idea of fragrancing homes. Now this is back in 1992 when home fragrance really wasn't part of our lifestyle. Very few people were burning scented candles. There was maybe one or two brands on the market in America. Um, and so we were ideating this collection, and in walks Rosemary Bravo, who had just come from iMagnon, and she was on her way to become the new president of Saks Fifth Avenue. So she comes into the shop, and we started chatting with her, and we tell her about our dream to build this home fragrance company. And she said my favorite three words, oh my God, that's amazing, I want to launch you. So here at Saks Fifth Avenue, many, many years ago, 26 years ago, we launched our first company, Slack and & Company, on the couture floor, so. <laughs> Sax has a special spot in my heart and always will. Let's go back in time. I didn't know about finance. Um, what was that life like for you? So I worked at um, Lehman Brothers for 13 years. Um, and that was an extraordinary experience because I really got to learn about a lot of different industries, different companies. I managed common stock portfolios for high net worth individuals and hedge funds. Um, and it was an extraordinary experience. But I was ready for something new. And this was definitely a change. Yeah, so that's a huge shift for you both to make, like both people in the household to make at the same time, which yeah. is leaving the business in finance and then saying, oh, let's just be entrepreneurial with my brother-in-law. Yes. So um, what were the conversations in the household leaving the structure and the, the comforts of that business? Yes, yeah, so it, um, it was a major risk. It was a big risk um, to leave the comfort of Wall Street, where we both were you know, earning a decent amount of money, um, to go off and start this company, which was very entrepreneurial and, and scary, because it wasn't like we were going into the beauty industry and there was a big business in color or fragrance. This is home fragrance, which really was not an industry. So not only were we starting a company, but we were starting it industry and paving the way for something different um, which was and proved to be 
very challenging. The first 10 years were not easy. What was not easy about it? Financially, just growing a company um, was just not easy because we were paving the way and educating people on home fragrance and selling them home fragrance at the same time. So that was, um, it was just more difficult. But everyone started, once we launched our company, everybody got into the fragrance industry. So everyone started coming out with a candle and that was terrific. We embraced that, that competition because that just made the industry bigger. And then lo and behold, we get a phone call one day from Les Wexner who um, is the CEO, the founder of um, Limited Brands, Bath and Body Works. And he had a $100 million home fragrance business and wanted to turn it into a billion dollar business and wanted to acquire a company that had an expertise in the space. Um, and that is how we sold our company to Limited Brands. So, had a happy outcome. So, that's incredible. Um, there's a lot of there's a low, which is the challenge, and the high, which is the sale. And let's talk about what happens in between, right? Um, so the fragrance business with the interior design focus, that, how long did that last for? 13 years. 13 years. And um, my guess is it was, you said it's not wildly successful at first. It really took 10 years for people to start to adapt to that. Yeah, and then, then you know, then I would say in the last five years, um, um, prior to selling, it was really successful and humming, but it, it took that, you know, you know, eight or 10 years to really develop the business. So um, how do you practice patience? Well, I think that you really have to know whether you have something or you don't. You know, in the beginning it wasn't humming, but then it clicked and it all started happening. And I think you really have to be, when you start a company, you really have to be honest with yourself and say, do I have a business and not do what a lot of people do is stay with something when it's not happening. And you need to really know when to turn the faucet off and exit and get out. And people don't do that. They just don't, I'm gonna give it one more year. I'm gonna give it one more year. I mean, it, they, they, they say that and 10 years later, they're still saying, I'm gonna give it till you know March. I'm gonna give it till, you know what I mean? Is there I mean, a fine line though between thinking it's gonna become something or you know, driving yourself into a bigger hole. It's a delicate, you know, it's a challenge to know whether to give it that, you know, more time. I mean, if we, there were many points where I said, I don't, we got to find something else to do because this isn't working. But, um, you know, we just, we really worked at, you know, perfecting it and, it and it clicked. And when it clicked, I knew that it clicked and we had something special. So what, um, what's the origin story for Nest specifically? How did Nest start? What, what was the inspiration? Oh, so um, Harry went off to go work at Limited Brands, and I was left with no company. And when you're an entrepreneur, um, not having a company is a very, very scary thing. It's like having no safety net or no baby. It's just, it's like someone pulled the rug under, you know, out from under you. So I think a true entrepreneur always has to have a company. So, and I didn't know whether my husband was going to be happy at Limited Brands. Who knows, it's a $12 billion company, and he was used to being, running, the, running his own company. Um, so I, I started Nest Fragrances as a backup plan. It's, it's a pretty, pretty good backup plan. Limited brands, he could always come back, and he would have a company to come home to. So it was started as a backup plan. I love that um, this business that's really so voluptuous now, right? Um, was really just, you know, I need to do something just in case my husband doesn't like his new job, right? Well, you know, I, I actually, <laughs> I actually am, and, you know, a pessimist. I look, I'm a, I always look at the glass half empty, not half full. Um, I always think the worst, 
that is going to happen. And then I, you know, so I always have backup plans. I always have strategies. That's like who I am. I'm very negative. All your life? Like as a child? All my life I've been negative. What would, what would be like an example of that like in college or your early years in finance where you were just like preparing for the worst? Well, I, I think, you know, when you're, when you're an entrepreneur, I think you're always thinking, you know, if this doesn't work, what else am I going to do? If that doesn't work, what's the best? You know, what I mean? I'm always. I, I think once when you're working for a big company, you know, on Wall Street, you're, you know, you're working for a large company, but you own your own business in a sense. Um, but I think, you know, when you have your own business, um, you're really always thinking, gee, what if this doesn't work? Then we'll do this, or it, that happens like with inventory, you know we build this inventory and if it doesn't sell, what are we going to do? Or if it doesn't work here, where are we going to move it? You know, if we don't get the business from here, where are we getting it from? You know, you're always constantly planning, but that's how I operate with backup plans. It's interesting that you consider yourself a pessimist in that way because I just feel like you're a str strategic, right? Like, um, so... Yeah, you could so call it, I call it strategic, but my company calls it negative. <laughs> <laughs> don't be so negative. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> you have a lot of team members here tonight. Um, you know, I, um, I'm someone who always sat in self-doubt. So yeah. like that, I think pessimism travels with that. Like there's a little gray cloud following me. And it's farther away now, thanks to the podcast. I've been learning the wisdom of our guests to overcome it. But um, I really think when in the entrepreneurial experience, like planning for the unforeseen is just being strategic yeah, and smart and, and organized and staying three steps ahead, which is what that's founders what, do. That's what we do. And, you know, I believe wholeheartedly in everything that we do. And I, I go at it with a lot of passion and a lot of drive and a lot of dedication and um, perseverance. And, um, and I really feel strongly about my company. Um, but I always think it's really important to keep a level head and um, be strategic. So let's talk about the first few years of Nest. What were you working on at that time? Well, it was interesting because my first three years, at, um, I had a non-compete. So I couldn't actually own my own brand. I could only produce um, brand, home fragrance for other companies. So we created um, home fragrance collections for companies like Laura Mercier, NARS, Ralph Lauren, Tori Birch, Jonathan Adler, Vera Wang, over 100 luxury brands. So in those three years, I really got my PhD in home fragrance and fragrance development. Um, so packaging, you know, and I helped them with their retail distribution and their strategy. Um, so it was really a huge learning experience and a wonderful opportunity to meet a lot of different people and work with a lot of different vendors and um, that really taught me so much. But what was interesting about that voyage is the fact that every time we launched a collection for one of these private label clients, they did well, but they didn't do really well. They like really weren't knocking it out of the park. I mean, they were successful in their own stores, and but the consumer was really, you know, consumers are very smart, and you have to watch them very carefully to understand them. And what they were saying to me is, I don't want a fashion designer's candle. I don't want a shoe designer's candle. I don't want a fragrance company's candle. I want to buy a candle from a company, from someone who is in the home fragrance business. I felt that need. I felt that consumer was telling me that. So that's why I created Nest Fragrances, because I felt I owed it to the consumer. Um, because I had that expertise, I had that knowledge, and I wanted to build a really successful, well-organized, important home fragrance company, and that's what Nest Fragrances is. Um, and the day we launched the brand, 
we sold like thousands of candles the first day. It was an instant hit from the first day it got on the floor. That's amazing. So in three years, you did all that work for all those brands? Yeah. That's an amazing amount of contracts and negotiations yes. and production. Yes. Um, was everything just whizzing so fast? Was it, it was. Hard. It was exciting. I mean, there was, you know, a lot of companies were coming to us because we had that expertise. And um, it was a very, very busy time, um, but fun. It was, ex it was exceptionally um, rewarding and exciting. And um, it, was a, it was a part of um, my business career that I look back on fondly. But I think the greatest um, thing about those years was really looking at the marketplace and studying consumers and finding out how they were responding to all these various collections and what the needs were. Um, so when we launched Nest Fragrances, um, and, I, and I mentioned I wanted it to be an important company, tapping all the different fragrance categories and really um, speaking to the consumer in a way that um, was very respectful. So, um, you know, it was important to me that the price point was right, that the quality was there, but the price point was approachable. Because I felt that, you know, there were candle companies on the market that in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, you know, $90 per candle. And that I thought was, you know, it's very expensive. It didn't allow everyone to buy the candles and really enjoy them and burn them in their home. You know, I'm going to buy this $95 candle, but I'm going to burn it next week when Sally's coming over. You know, and today really people love to enjoy fragrance. They like burning candles. They like to, you know, particularly millennials. You know, millennials grew up with home fragrance, so it's part of their lifestyle. So if you're a baby boomer, it may not be part of your lifestyle, but for millennials, it's part of their lifestyle. So um, you had told me that being an entrepreneur is like being on a roller coaster. Yes. And this is a, a picture that I paint as well. Most, well, most of the past 12 years, I felt like I was hanging upside down on yeah. the roller coaster. Yeah. Um, and I just really wanted to be on like the whizzing straight parts that kind of go twisty with like the wind in your hair and you're laughing. Um, wh what are some examples of these roller coaster experiences that you've had? Well, I think, you know, when I tell my daughter about this all the time, that life is a roller coaster. We all have ups and downs. And, you know, when you're up here and you are so happy and everything is going right and the world is perfect and you, ha you have to remember how you feel up there because there are going to be times when you are down here on the bottom. And it feels awful to be down there, but you have to remember what it felt like to be up at the top and how do I get there? What do I have to do to get there? Um, but I guess my worst experience with a roller coaster was when we were doing private label. And um, I had the opportunity, I was working with mostly luxury brands, but I had the opportunity to create a home fragrance collection for a very, very large brand that was very mass. And um, it was a very, very exciting opportunity because if we did it, it was going to be a very, very big business. And um, this, I, this person who ran this company was actually a friend of mine. Not a very close friend, but she was a friend. So we had a memorandum of understanding and the contract was with the lawyers. Um, but we did everything for this collection. We created all the fragrances. We designed all the packaging. I went out to every retailer nationwide to present the collection. All the retailers were in. Everything was lined up. And I'm on my way to dinner with my husband. We're on Madison Avenue, and I look down at my iPhone, and I see someone's called me, and there's a message. So I pick up the phone, and I listen to the message, and it's the CEO of the company telling me that the deal's off. Now, my entire year was based on this launch. And 
it was like a dagger going through my heart. I couldn't breathe. And I said to my husband, Harry, you're not going to believe it. So-and-so just called and left a message that the whole launch is off. And we walk into the restaurant, we sit down, we order, and then I just stood there frozen, thinking, oh my God, what am I going to say to all of the fragrance houses that work so hard on all of these fragrances? What am I going to say to the vendors that are preparing for this launch? What am I going to say? Oh my God, what am I going to say to the retailers? Like I just was sitting there like sweating, like thinking about all of this. And most important, what was I going to say to my team, my company, the people who work for me that look at me as a leader? What am I going to say to them? And can I resurrect this? And, and Harry just turned to me and he said, Laura, if you're just going to sit there, we can go home. <laughs> I mean, it's just date night. Um, so anyway, um, it couldn't be resurrected. Um, no matter how hard I tried. And I just, you know, that was a low. But I called everybody into my conference room and I said, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you need to get, you need to know what it's like to be on a roller coaster. There are highs and there are lows, and we're definitely at a low. And I delivered the message to them, and the whole place was like, <gasps> you know, like everyone gasped because it was so shocking. I said, now don't do that. I said, now don't do that, don't go there. If you want to be tough and you want to succeed, you're going to have to dig deep and find the strength to move on and just take this moment and make it a learning experience because I have a solution for us. We're going to take all those fragrances, we're going to take all that packaging, we're going to take all those retailer relationships, we're going to put our own name on that brand and get ready, let's go. Yeah, so those highs and lows are really important. Right, and that low took you right to where you are now. Yeah. Like everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. You know, I think know that it. that enabled us to launch Nest Fragrances a year later and really, you know, focus on what was important in our own brand. Uh, when I walked into your office last week when I met you for the first time, um, I was sitting in the reception area and I thought, you did it. You know, you, um, you built what you built, but you, you know, with all the different financial transactions and the other things that move the business forward, you're still here leading your vision the way you want to. And that just doesn't happen all the time, right? Yeah. Things um, don't always go that way. And it was so great to be in the presence and sitting in the, in the building where, where this was happening. Um, I felt really so proud of you and I hadn't even met you at that moment because I meet a lot of entrepreneurs. I meet a lot of people behind the scenes and th this is just the way it should be. Um, and it's just not always the way it is. Yes. You know, I'm, I'm really proud of the company. It's so incredible, but the brand is so loved. Like, even when I was in New Orleans this weekend, and my daughter would say, oh, my mom, you know, she has Nest Fragrances. Oh, my God, I love Nest Fragrances. You know, everyone always says, oh, my God, I love Nest Fragrances. And a big smile comes on their face. And, like, that's my measurement of success, you know, that people, like, look at my brand and think about my brand. And it makes them smile. And it makes them happy. And that's all I need, that my brand is so loved. And I, and I love that. It makes me really happy and proud. I want to switch gears a little bit um, and tell the audience that in addition to Nest, you're the founder of Next for Autism, a nonprofit dedicated to creating opportunities and resources for families living with autism. Why did you start Next? Well, that's another low in life. Um, uh, at 17 months of age, my son, David, who's Allie's twin brother, uh, my daughter's, they're, I have twins, um, was diagnosed with autism, severe autism. 
And when he was diagnosed with autism, I didn't really know anything about autism. There was one friend that I had at the time uh, that had a child with autism. So I went out and I bought all these books and I read all these books about what could happen. And really horrible things, you know, that they could never talk or they would have aggressive behaviors or et cetera, et cetera. And I cried myself to sleep. And the next morning, my husband said to me, crying isn't going to do anything for David. Crying is not going to do anything for Allie. Crying is not going to be good for our marriage. It's not going to be good for our family. Roll up your sleeves and do something about it. So I did. Um, you, know, I, you know, I went into high gear. And really, our first journey was to really you know, research everything you know, for, our, for our own son, find a school for him, find a doctor for him, you know, get him evaluated, get him this, get him that. And what we learned was um, there were so many voids in, in the city that we lived in. We lived in New York City, one of the most important cities in the world, yet there were so few um, schools or medical centers. In fact, if you wanted to find a really great school, you had to get in your car and drive over a bridge to New Jersey. So Harry and I decided to start Next for Autism, um, which um, is a magnificent organization. Uh, we've opened up two charter schools here in New York City. Uh, we built a major brain center with Columbia University, Cornell University, and New York Presbyterian Hospital. We built a wonderful training institute at Hunter College to train teachers. We've graduated 400 teachers. Um, now we're building a major um, uh, program for adults with autism um, in Westchester, where um, it's a community living program where adults with autism can live in the community, uh, work in the community. And then we have a corporate consulting program where we go into corporations and we actually advise corporations on how do they hire individuals, adults with autism. Because if one out of 59 individuals uh, are affected by autism, then we should be seeing one out of 59 in our workplace, um, at the movie theaters, in the supermarkets. Um, so we're working with corporations now and training them on how do you provide an environment that is autism friendly. So all this work has been enormously um, gratifying and um, we've met so many different people along the way and it's broadened our horizons and made us you know better people and I'm really proud of that work. How many how can families leverage the resources of Next? Oh well we have a wonderful website Next for Autism uh, and right there you can access every learn about all the different programs that we've built. And how can people donate? Uh, hit that donate button. <laughs> um, where Brains Meet Beauty will be doing that this evening after the show. Oh, thank yeah. you. I'm so proud of you Wonderful. for all that work. It's thank incredible. You. It's a side of you that I didn't know about. I had to do a little digging. Thank you. Thank you. But, you know, that's another instance of having a low, and then I can tell you the day we opened at charter school, our very first project was a high. Um, and that's what life is about. Right. So um, is there a reason that you named it Next, when Nest and Next are almost the same word? No, we actually, we started out calling it um, uh, New York Center for Autism, and then we changed it to New York Collaborates for Autism, but then our work became national. Um, and then we were always thinking, what's next for autism? You know, we started out with a school, but then it was a medical center, and then it was, as David got older and we understood the challenges of, of having um, a child with you know, autism as an adult, what's next? For autism, we're always thinking, what what next can we do? Is it employment? So, it just was an appropriate name. So, my uh, my last question for you is really about 
life-work balance, which is something that we talk about all the time as individuals and with our friends. So you have your, your household with Harry and your daughter. You have your autism community and your support for David. And then you have this business to run, right? Yeah. This is a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, someone could say we, we do some research for autism, but you open schools and programs and make it national, right? It's, you know, it's a heavy load. Yeah. How do you move through these tasks during the day and make time for you? And what does time for you look like? So we have three, um, you know, th I have three parts of my life. Yes, I have the, our nest next for autism and then my family life. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a challenge balancing all of them. But I've learned that if you have really, really smart people working with you, um, you can get anything done. You know, you're not always doing things yourself. You always have a great CEO. You always have a great partner. You always have you know, great people that work within, within your organization that are really passionate and loyal about seeing the company, whether it's Next for Autism or Nest Fragrances, succeed. It's all about people. It's all about teams. It's all about, you know, you know creating a culture, a culture where people really want to prosper and succeed and make a difference So, um, in whatever they're doing. So it's about people. It's about teams. Um, it's about collaboration. And what does downtime look like for you? Like when you close your eyes, you're like, I need some time to myself. What are you, what are you doing during that time? No, a glass of scotch. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I like being with my husband, and you know, we enjoy each other's company, and we like to go out to dinner and spend time together. And um, we just got a house in Florida, so we're excited about that. Um, just basically relaxing. But you know, being on my phone and doing the work in between everything is always you know what keeps me going. Well, thank you for sharing. It's now time for questions. Kate's going to give me some questions, which, which is, oh, you, you hearted them. How smart. Yeah. Okay. So this is from A Priori Synthetic. Are you here? Oh, hi. Uh, what is your name? Julia. Julia. So Julia asks, what are your favorite elemental scents to work with? What are my favorite? What are your favorite elemental scents to work with? Elemental sense. Basic sense. Basic sense to work with. Fragrances? Yes. Okay, so, um, you know, we have a very wide repertoire of fragrances. So um, it's important that, you know, we're tapping every fragrance category. So um, I, my favorite kinds of elements to work with are gourmand fragrances. I absolutely love gourmand fragrances. Um, so vanilla orchid and, um, just anything, we have a wonderful pumpkin chai candle that I absolutely love, but I love vanilla-based candles, and I love gourmand scents. Um, last year, or two years ago, we, we launched a, um, a candle called Sugar Cookie, and it was a bourbon-infused sugar cookie. And this fragrance was the best fragrance we've ever launched. The only problem with the fragrance is I'm the only one who liked it. <laughs> it didn't sell? It didn't do really well, no. And I kept calling everybody, well, you've got to burn it, and, and then everyone's going to buy it. And they burn it, and then I call them back a week later, do they buy it? No. <laughs> so sometimes I'm alone on that gourmand So do, do you discontinue fragrances for those reasons? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So our next um, question is from Sarah Fitzkrutz. Are you here? Oh, hi, Sarah. Sarah's question is, what advice would you give to a young person with an entrepreneurial spirit, but who's not sure what their passion is? Well, I can only tell you what I did when I was very young, and I just worked at a lot of different companies till I found what I was passionate about. And that process 
rules out and rules in. So um, I think I was a psychology major and I volunteered at four different psychological institutes and hospitals in various places and I learned that it wasn't for me. So I think the only way to really um, find what you want to do is to keep interning and volunteering and giving, exposing yourself because when you find that one thing that really turns you on, you will know exactly um, what you need to be doing for the rest of your life. Right, and our last question, and the people who um, had your questions read, Pixie Kate, she has a goodie bag for you. Um, Ida, oh no, ID Accessories, is, are you here? I, ID Accessories Inc., nope. Let's pick a different question. If you're not here, you have to be, be here to win. How do you work with noses in the fragrance industry to develop your fragrances? Well, I work with perfumers um, in the industry and... Oh, sorry, this is Tori Cathy, Torelli oh. Cathy. Are you here? Hi, okay. Hi. Um, so, I find inspiration. I, for example, I'll go just go back to my daughter again. Um, last year we were working, uh, maybe two years ago, on a new fragrance for our fine fragrance collection. And I was in Charleston, South Carolina, um, they're visiting schools, and we took a walk in the historic district, and, um, and I came across this house that was covered in wisteria from head to toe. And I've always loved that wisteria flower. The beautiful artistry of the flower is so magnificent. Um, so I went home, and I called up a perfumer that I had never worked with before, and I said, you know, I'm thinking about doing a fra new fragrance, and I was wondering if you would like to work with me on it. And he said, sure, I've always wanted to work with you. Um, so I said, well, I have this idea in my mind that I want to do a wisteria fragrance. And there was dead silence on the other end of the phone. And I said, hello? And he said, yes. He said, come to my lab tomorrow. I have to show you something. So I went to his lab, and he explained to me that when he was in his 20s and working at Givadon, he had the opportunity to capture the essence of the wisteria that adorned the home of Marie Antoinette at Versailles. And he's been holding on to it for some 25 years, and no one's ever asked him to create a wisteria fragrance. So um, I smelled this essence, and I said, oh my god, it was beautiful. And that, to that we added Bulgarian jasmine and um, Bulgarian rose and imperial jasmine, which he considered the king and the queen of any important floral. And then watery nuances so that we could capture the, like, the ethereal beauty of the fragrance. So that's kind of how I work with perfumers. You know, I've become inspired to create a particular fragrance, and then we work together um, with ingredients and um, make history. Thank you fragrance for that. history. So this is concluding our podcasting program. I'm going to read what I always read on our podcast, so you just have to bear with me. Pretend you're not here. Thanks for your wisdom, Laura. <laughs> for our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this interview. Please subscribe to our series on iTunes, and for updates about the show, follow us on Instagram at Where Brains Meet Beauty Podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.